United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. There was testimony on the Hill yesterday. The price tag for the Afghanistan war, the continuing war, another $45 billion. That's the latest information we're getting from this testimony that took place yesterday in Washington, D.C., is it worth the price? Well, let's turn to somebody who just came back. Scott Worden is the director of Afghanistan and Central Asia programs at the United States Institute of Peace and tweets at USIP and is joining us. Scott, thank you for joining us on POTUS today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what? when you make a trip like that, what is it you're looking for? Well, part of it was to check on the progress of the new South Asia strategy, um, talking with political leaders, um, for me, less in the military, civil society leaders, members of the Afghan government, um, see where the political situation is um, and also what's the mood of the country and is the strategy working? You got there immediately in the wake of these four attacks uh, from the Taliban and ISIS in Kabul and Jalalabad, correct? Yeah, I did. It was it was unfortunate timing in that regard, but it certainly uh, captured a uh, a somber moment in time for Afghans and the government. So give us a better understanding than it right now is who's fighting whom right now? Well, it's, it's largely still the same insurgency. Um, you have the Taliban, which does have different factions, but fundamentally uh, is opposed to the Afghan government, um, supported by sanctuaries in Pakistan, and now getting increasing support from other neighbors in the region, uh, reportedly from Iran and and Russia to a limited degree. Uh, The new actor in this is that ISIS, um, which was obviously in Syria and Iraq. There are elements of uh, that movement which are coming into Afghanistan. And of the attacks, the Taliban claimed two of them, ISIS claimed two others. You know, really, it's I think there's maybe not an explicit coordination of these attacks, but they're all driven by the same desire to undermine the legitimacy of the Afghan government and ultimately take control. You know, it's interesting when you say ISIS and I think to myself, OK, there was this big fight over whether it should be called ISIS or ISIL, the Islamic State in Iran and Syria, the Islamic State in Iran and the Levant. And it now sounds like maybe if they are making inroads into Afghanistan that it's not ISIS or ISIL, but something else. It, it, it's the, this is obviously the same group of people, though, right? Yeah, it's, it, I would call it the same movement. Uh, more specifically, this is ISIS in the state of Khorasan, which is a, a former um, territory that kind of preceded the boundaries of Afghanistan uh, that was part of the early Islamic uh, empire. So, you know, it, it now claims a, a different area of territory, you know, some of the people are the same, but what we're hearing is that it's also um, on the ground supported by indigenous you know, Afghans who are disaffected with the government. There are some uh, elements of ISIS in Afghanistan that have essentially defected from the Taliban. Um, so I would say it's, it's morphing. This is not just a direct export of the same fighters that are leaving Iraq and Syria. There may be some. Um, but largely it's a, it's inspired by that uh, ideology and that movement, and then it's recreating itself in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Scott Warden with us, Director of Afghanistan and Central Asia Programs at the United States Institute of Peace. Tell us about Ashraf Ghani. Does he have the support of people? Does he have a government behind him that is supportive? 
And is he, you know, where, where does he stand on the United States involvement in Afghanistan? That's a key question. Um, on United States involvement in Afghanistan, um, unlike President Karzai toward the end of his term, President Ghani is a steadfast ally of the U.S. He works very closely with the U.S. government, um, has a very close relationship with General Nicholson and, and the command of U.S. forces there. So really, his strategy and the U.S. strategy are, are well linked up and well integrated, and he, he's uh, constantly clearly very grateful for the U.S. support. Um, in terms of his support for from the Afghan people, this government is struggling. Um, you know, it is in control. There's no kind of clear alternative, including the Taliban, who I should say have in surveys very low support, single-digit support across the country. Um, that said, you know, the Afghans, and particularly in Kabul when I was there after these really bad attacks, um, they are increasingly frustrated with this government's inability to um, provide security in the capital and other key cities. Um, they're frustrated by uh, infighting within the government. The latest, um, I guess, political setback in that front is an attempt to fire a powerful governor in northern Afghanistan. He refused to leave office. And now there's a negotiation between um, representatives of this governor and uh, President Ghani's government. So I even heard from Afghans I'm talking to that, um, you know, members of the insurgency uh, are saying, hey, look, you know, why should we negotiate with this Afghan government when they can't even fire their own governor? Um, so there's a bit of cynicism and uh, lack of confidence that is present in Afghanistan right now. On the other hand, what I'm hearing from you and what I've seen just, you know, having these many years, seen what took place in Afghanistan and beyond from the beginning of this war is that at least there's a sense that there's a government there. I mean, I can remember, it seems to me that it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there was a real sense that it was just a conglomeration of tribes. And, you know, the, the Kabul was the the capital. It was the only city. The, the president uh, was the president of Kabul. And, and it seems to me it's a little bit more widespread now. I don't know. Tell me if, if, if that is the perception. No, you're very correct. I mean, things have come a long way in the last 15 years from uh, you're right. You know, no central government, um, extremely low development. And uh, Afghanistan has made a lot of progress in that regard. And this government, um, you know, is genuinely committed to both economic reforms and development, as well as uh, legal reforms to try to get at the huge problem of corruption. Um, so it's not nothing. I mean, a lot of these comparisons and the frustration that the Afghan people feel is relative to their expectations and expectations are higher because there has been progress. Um, the, you know, the opportunity coming up is there are presidential elections scheduled for the spring of 2019, according to the constitution. Um, you know, I think that there's this, this political lull right now, um, where folks are, um, you know, while frustrated, as I said, with lack of, of security, they're content to have this government serve out its term, but Afghan political class, and I think voters as well are looking ahead to the next elections and how Ashraf Ghani and how opposition politicians approach that will uh, determine whether the government can be stronger and more stable in the future. Is there still a concern, Scott, that uh, Pakistan is a feeder for disruptive forces? Yeah, there's absolutely still that concern. Um, you know, some of the commentary there in Afghanistan, as well as here, has been, 
that in some ways these attacks uh, can be seen as uh, tied to the increased pressure that the U.S. has been push- putting on Pakistan as a result of the South Asia strategy uh, to deny safe havens to the, to the Taliban. And so as pressure increases on Pakistan, then either their response or uh, the Taliban's response, having their safe havens threatened, is to launch some spectacular attacks in, the, in Kabul to show that you know, they've got uh, a voice in this too. Um, you know, the Afghan government is, is very clear that they believe um, these attacks are planned in Pakistan. Uh, while I was there, there was a delegation that went from the Afghan government to Pakistan to present evidence of, uh, you know, I don't know the nature of it, but I assume, you know, cell phone calls coming across the border and other planning uh, steps for the attacks. And I know the Pakistan government sent the delegation back saying, you know, essentially denying it. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a war of words at the diplomatic level. And, but meanwhile, I think there is definitely um, connections between Pakistan and these attacks. Last question, Scott. It seems like there's no uh, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan in the near future at this point. No, that's right. I mean, the new strategy is, uh, as, as it said, conditions-based. Um, those conditions certainly aren't present right now. You know, fundamentally, this is um, a war of confidence um, as much as it is a fight on the battlefield. And so having an indefinite commitment definitely um, allows the Afghan government to say, hey, look, you know, this will give us time to build up our forces, to build up our strength. Um, if there is a, a quick withdrawal, you know, I think calculations would change and you'd see a, a decline in the situation. So we're there for a while and it's a long, you know, kind of slow process, but one that I think needs to move forward. Scott Warden, thank you. I know you just got back last night. I'm sure you're tired, but thanks for getting up with us this morning. It's my pleasure. Good to talk to you. That is Scott Warden, Director of Afghanistan and Central Asia Programs at the United States Institute of Peace, just back from Kabul, discussing the situation there after the testimony yesterday about the cost of continuing the war. Sounds like he's thinking it is money well spent right now. Maybe people will disagree, but this is a debate that's ongoing. We're just watching to see where the progress is in Afghanistan. He's tweeting, by the way, at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.